Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Grace Anglican Church of Grove City, Pennsylvania. Our goal in every sermon is to proclaim the bold truth of the Word of God, especially the undiluted grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website at graceanglicanonline.com. When I was 20 years old, someone spoke two words to me that unraveled my life and set me upon a course of deep and profound healing. Uh, his two words were simple, direct, and a bit invasive. Uh, the man, who happened to be a minister, asked me, what's wrong? That's all. What's wrong? But he asked it in such a way that it was clear that he meant the question and wanted to know the response and didn't want me to be overly sanitized in my response, but wanted to know honestly what was wrong. Well, this is the question of Ash Wednesday. What's wrong? Uh, this is a day in which we take more than a glance at numerous things that are, in fact, quite troubled. In particular, our mortality as well as our inner corruption, which in Holy Scripture are always connected. Uh, it's why we just read from this penetrating lesson, a snapshot from the Sermon on the Mount, in which Jesus attacks false piety. Uh, Jesus was um, deeply, deeply disturbed whenever people used religion or religious practices as a demonstration of social superiority. Uh, he really hated the fact that people did certain things to be seen. And why? It's because Jesus had a fixation upon the core as opposed to some sort of external performance. Uh, and he really wants to know what's wrong with you and what's wrong with me. He's asking the question, what's wrong? And he doesn't want a peripheral answer or peripheral practices. And he mentions in this passage three religious practices that had in his day and context become, had become abused. Almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. Uh, almsgiving is simply when you donate money to the poor. And Jesus taught some radical things about giving to the poor, things I'm not comfortable with, frankly. He said that you ought to give to everyone who asks of you. And very few of us would do that very willingly. In fact, we're often afraid of what people will do with our money once we've given it to them, right? And sometimes we rationalize the way Jesus is teaching and say to ourselves, well, I'm very, very concerned that my money would be used to enable naughty behavior. So it's probably better not to give anything uh, than to give something that would be ill-used. Um, but nevertheless, he says it. Uh, he doesn't nuance away his own teaching much as I wish that he did. Uh, so that's almsgiving. Then he says something about prayer, and prayer is when you talk to God and not to Fred, right? Um, or talk to the person sitting next to you. But many people, and you've heard them from time to time, uh, if they are a praying sort of a person, sometimes they pray in, in order to lecture the person that's sitting next to them. Uh, very often this happens in matters of sort of bad habits. Uh, you know, dear God, I, I, I thank you for my, uh, for my friend Fred, who is really struggling with uh, cigarettes, and I pray that he would know how wicked and evil and disgusting that habit really is and how it's going to kill him and, uh, and give him lung cancer and how everybody around him feels uncomfortable. And I pray uh, that you would rebuke him to his face and allow him to put down the cigarette. 
um, that just creates more smokers. Um, and, uh, um, and isn't it intriguing, the whole habit? Anyway, um, but, uh, but the, the fact is, uh, when Jesus talks about prayer, he says, I want you to pray in a, in a small room by yourself. And I don't want you to use prayer as a means of lecturing or impressing anybody else around you. Because it's not about that. It's about really connecting with the creator, the redeemer, the source, the great I am, the, the ground of being, the one who loved you into, into life. It's about connecting to God, not using prayer as a vehicle to manipulate your circumstances or other people in your life. And then he says something about fasting. Now, fasting is when you temporarily give up something good, not sinful, but good in order to pursue something better. And so in the Old Testament, most of the time people would give up food, sometimes food and water for a brief period of time. Jesus fasted in the wilderness for 40 days. Moses fasted on Mount Sinai. I mean, you know some of the stories. Uh, well, you, you could do food, uh, and that's just fine, uh, but you could also fast from other things, uh, like, for example, oh, from the top of my head, social media. Uh, maybe it's time to consider it, um, just because uh, it's not always a bastion of blessing and a, a haven of peace, um, but uh, maybe something to consider. But what's interesting to notice here is Jesus talks about almsgiving, prayer, and fasting, and the dangers that are associated with the, their practice is he's not rejecting actions of piety or being pious, right? Because he says to his followers, when you do these things, indicating that maybe they'll do them from time to time. So he doesn't reject them, but what he does reject is illegitimate motives for doing them whenever they're done to be seen. He rejects motivations behind piety that are unseemly, ungodly, and in fact, contrary to their very design. Now, there are, to put it very simply and broadly, two ways that these practices can go wrong. One of them is vertical and one of them is horizontal. The vertical way that these disciplines or practices can go wrong is when you think your relationship with God is secured by them. If you really believe that you are set right with the Almighty because of a straightening of your spine, because of muscling through, because of white knuckling, because of what you eat or don't eat, how hard you pray, when you try to pray, and how consistent you are in that prayer, you will be in a very bad way because uh, you and I are not always consistent uh, even when we try. And sometimes when we try, we get worse for all sorts of difficult psychodynamic reasons. Um, but here's the, the truth, that you are justified freely by grace, not by effort. And so you need to keep that in mind or else you'll misunderstand and misappropriate these practices. That's point one. But also, there's a way to horizontally mess them up. We also become injurers of other people, horizontally speaking, whenever we use these things to manipulate people into respecting us. And we hurt ourselves as well. And so there's a social sin that, you, that we can commit. Uh, if we have mistaken motivations behind piety. So there are, a, uh, of course, a dozen reasons to practice the disciplines that Jesus mentions here. Uh, many, many good things can come from them, and there are many good reasons to do them, but here is one, just one, that I'd like to highlight. Each of these disciplines involves making ourselves weaker. Every single one of them depletes us. Almsgiving makes us poorer. Prayer takes away our free time, and fasting makes us hungry. Uh, without these creaturely comforts of excess funds, time, and food, things begin to bubble up in us and show themselves. They begin to surface because many of our creaturely comforts have the fringe benefit 
of getting us through the day without thinking about things ultimate. And if you start taking them away, those creaturely comforts, then all manner of dark emotion, of past experience, of painful memories, and of sin are drudged up. Now, some people will say, Ethan, I don't like doing these things because when I do them, they always make me feel bad or make me feel worse. Therefore, they're not working. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Unfortunately, that's the evidence that they are, in fact, working, that they are stirring the pot and bringing things up to the surface. When I was a child, I would very often go walking in the forest. We had a lot of forests near our home. And uh, in one of, uh, one of those uh, forests, there was an old log cabin that had uh, fallen down. Uh, and in fact, trees were growing in the living room of it. And it was probably constructed in the 1820s or so. And, uh, and right outside this fallen down log cabin was a well with no wall. And the well was very, very deep. Somebody should have filled it in. Frankly, it was just a hazard. Nevertheless, my brother and I found it, and we also found it fascinating. So what we would do is get a big yellow bucket, tie a string to it, and dip it down into the unknown and drudge some things up. Fascinating flora and fauna in the bottom of, of an abandoned well, and maybe a creature or two from time to time. We would dip it down. Well, I want to say that's what Lenten practices are. Lenten practices are the plastic bucket that you throw down the dark well, the well that you can't see the bottom of. And as it dips down into that well, it drudges up all sorts of uh, unknown uh, things, some of them bright and some of them not so bright. Uh, And this is what uh, Lent is really all about, is the discovery of the great unknown, getting a little subterranean, uh, looking at some of the core problems of our lives, and these disciplines assist us um, and they are painful because they represent the opposite impulse that is found in both Eden and Babel. What's the impulse of Eden and Babel? Make yourself strong. Make yourself appear incredible. Build a name for yourself. Rise above your station. These disciplines instead say, I am but dust and ashes. I'm a vexed person. I'm a devastated person. I'm a person that is uh, fractured from within, and I need to discover some of the sources of that fracturing. I want to know myself and why I am the way I am so that I can present something uh, to God. And so uh, this is, by the way, what uh, the strapping and driven maniac named uh, Saul of Tarsus uh, discovered in his early career. It was in embracing weakness that he became strong. Embracing weakness, not pretending to be strong when you're not, but looking toward your own weakness in light of a strong Christ and then discovering you can hand weakness over to him. So I want to commend this Lent, those practices of giving your money away to the poor and spending time uh, in conscious contact with God and also fasting. Because here's the thing. What can it hurt to try it? What's it going to hurt? Nothing. In fact, it will probably help you in some real way. Uh, and, and it actually might lead to a breakthrough. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous has a lot of good, quippy sayings, but here's my favorite. If you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always got. Right? So if something's not working for you right now, why not try something new? Especially if you are undergirded by the grace of God, realizing that you're loved whether you succeed or fail, or however you define success or failure. 
the love will meet you there. So uh, I, I think that if we uh, engage in Lent this way, taking it seriously and not just liturgically, um, we will experience some exponential returns. I really believe that, that maybe, just maybe, as we drudge up something from the dark, dark well and deal with it in light of heaven's love, people from a generation yet born will turn around and thank us because their life has been subsidiarily lifted because we dealt with something now and didn't wait until we were dead. Now, uh, uh, there is a great rabbi in um, Jesus' day named Bar Kokhba who said the following phrase, great is repentance, great is, excuse me, one man's repentance, for it brings healing upon the whole world. Now, what did he mean by that? He meant that if I deal with one little aspect of my own life in light of God, everything else in my life gets better, inch by inch. Things lift, the tide lifts, and, and the, a rising tide lifts all boats. And not only do I get better, everybody in my circle gets better. Everybody experiences a little bit of healing when one thing in my life gets right in line of, in light of God and in line with God. And so that's my invitation uh, uh, to you is don't think in terms of perfectionism. Think that God might want to deal with one thing in your life and what freedom might come from the fact that he deals with that one thing. And so today, friends, is a day of owning. Uh, it's a day of owning certain difficult facts. It's a day of listening to the question, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I think these historic Christian practices help us to figure out and diagnose what's wrong. They open up some space. They stir the pot, and they make us vulnerable. And it's always safe to be vulnerable with Jesus of Nazareth because he's not going to abuse you in your vulnerability. Uh, so if we receive ashes tonight, it is a public and unseemly confession that something is wrong with us, and we wish for Christ to make it right and that we're open to throwing the plastic bucket down the well to see what comes up. So no matter what we find down that deep, dark well, it is already well known by heaven and can be redeemed in the hands of the one whose property is always, 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 always to have mercy. Amen. They took your life. They could not.